I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24. Hear now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain, and we are your house, we are your family. Unless the Spirit is with your servant, unless you speak through the preaching of the word, the preacher preaches in vain, unless your Spirit opens our hearts and our ears to receive your word, we listen in vain. And so, Father, we pray that your Spirit would be among us this morning. Would you empower your word that we might receive it as it really is? the very word of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The people of Israel faced harsh and cruel conditions, held as captives, as slaves in Egypt. They were mistreated. They were beaten. They were subjected to unfair expectations. They feared the crack of the whip that was in the hands of their vicious taskmasters. And so they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord delivered them. He rescued them out of the hand of Egypt. But no sooner had the parade of Israelites uh, paraded out of Egypt on their way to, they did not know where, where their, their fears increased as they faced the menacing waves of the Red Sea in front of them, and they heard behind them the rapidly approaching hooves of the war horses of Pharaoh's army, the creaking chariot wheels of the fury and the furious nature of Pharaoh's army. They were hemmed in on both sides, and they feared a certain death. And yet God, again, delivered them with a miraculous parting of the Red Sea and delivered his people. He destroyed Pharaoh and his army, the horse and the rider he cast into the sea. And so then the Lord led his people to the foot of Mount Sinai, where he would teach them, where they would learn how to serve him. But whatever fears they faced in Egypt were from the hand of Pharaoh and his army None of those fears could compare with the dreadful and fearful experience that they had in God's presence at Mount Sinai. It began with 
an exhortation to prepare themselves for the presence of the Lord. Of themselves, they were unclean and unholy, but this God is wholly other. He is perfectly holy. He will not dwell in an unclean area. And so he commanded the people that they must wash themselves. They must prepare themselves, sanctify themselves, consecrate themselves. The men must not go near women. They must be ready for the coming of the Lord. Next, the Lord set limits around the mountain, fearful limits. He said, do not transgress these limits that I have set on my holy mountain. Do not even touch the edge of it, for if you do, you will surely die. The person who trespassed that boundary, even he was dangerous. The person was not to touch them. They were to be stoned or shot with an arrow. And then the third day came. And the third day is when the people experienced the dreadful and terrible appearance of the Almighty God. They experienced the thunderings and the lightnings of on, on top of the mountain. There was thick clouds surrounding the mountain, a loud trumpet blast. With each thunderclap, the children shrieked, and the strong men cowered, and all the people trembled. But it wasn't just the people who trembled. The mountain itself trembled because God himself was coming down on the mountain. He came down in fire and the mountain was concealed with a veil of thick smoke that went up from the mountain like a kiln. And here in North Texas, the Lord treats us every now and then to a wonderful light display with streaks of lightning coursing through the air and thunderbolts that boom to the extent that the house shakes or knocks out the power of our houses. But none of us have ever seen the presence of the Lord come down on a mountain such that the bedrock would quake. None of us have seen a mountain veiled with thick clouds, thick smoke, because God would not be seen. None of us have heard loud trumpet blasts coming from some unknown location. None of us have been commanded, do not cross that line or you will surely die. And yet that is what God subjected his children, the people of Israel, to. And it was a terrible sight. And it was such a terrible sight that the people cried out to Moses, Moses, you speak to us. You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we shall die. In fact, it was such a terrible sight. So terrifying was the sight that Moses, the mediator of God's covenant between God and man, God's chosen man, the man with whom God spoke face to face with, he trembled with fear. But the most terrifying and the most fearful thing were none of those things, but it was the very law that came out of Moses' mouth from God himself, the perfect, absolute 
holy, pure law of God, perfect and absolute in its expanse, in that it covered every aspect of life, perfect and absolute in its requirements, and absolute in its punishments. Apostle Paul says that the wages of sin is death. And in the law that God gave, that was a clear and present reality. Hear the drumbeat of death that God gave in his law to the people of Israel in Sinai. Whoever hits a man and takes his life, that person must be put to death. If anyone takes the life of another person, that person must be put to death. If anyone has an unruly animal and that animal takes the life of another person, the person who owns the animal must be put to death. If someone kidnaps another person or if someone is found in possession of a kidnapped person, that person must be put to death. If anyone gives their children to a false god, that person must be put to death. If someone engages in the witchcraft or a cult, they must be put to death. If someone prophesies falsely, seeking to lead them to another God, they must be put to death. Even if it is your brother or your son or your daughter or the wife that you love or your friend, they must be put to death. Your hand must be the first to put them to death. If an outsider comes near the tabernacle, they must be put to death. If anyone blasphemes the name of the Lord, they must be put to death. If a man commits adultery with a woman, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. If a man sleeps with his father's wife, they both must be put to death. If a man sleeps with his son's wife, his daughter-in-law, they must be put to death. If a man sleeps with another man, he must be put to death. If a man sleeps with an animal, he must be put to death. If a man marries a woman and he finds out that she is not a virgin, she must be put to death. If a man hits his father or mother, he must be put to death. If a man curses his father or mother, he must be put to death. If a man is unwilling, if a man or a woman has a son who is unwilling to submit to his father and mother, even though they discipline him, that child must be put to death. If anyone does not keep the Sabbath, they must be put to death. If anyone does any work on the Sabbath, they must be put to death. The law was absolute and dreadful for every one of those people. It was fearful for wives considering their husbands and husbands for their wives and parents for their children. There was an aroma of death, a fear of death. And yet, having heard that law, and with all of its requirements, the people of Israel said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses took blood of animals, and he sprinkled the people, sealing them to this covenant of law with all of its absolute requirements and severe punishments. Fear, dread, trembling, crashing thunder, flashing lightning, trumpet blasts, limits 
warnings, threatenings, stoning, death. Such were the terrors of Mount Sinai. No sinful person could meet God's perfect law, his perfect demands. No sinful person could satisfy that. No sinful person could quiet that thunder or quench that burning flame. And yet one man has done all those things. No sinful man, but Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the perfect and holy Son of God, our Savior and Redeemer, our great King and High Priest, our Advocate in heaven. He came and silenced Sinai's thunder. He perfectly fulfilled the law's demands. He paid the wages of our sins so that we could receive the gift of eternal life. And so now, beloved, we have not come to Sinai, to the raging and tumultuous mountain. We have not. We have come to Mount Zion, the mountain of God's grace and mercy, not the mountain of God's law, his perfect and holy law, but the mountain of his perfect and holy gospel in Jesus Christ. And there's much rejoicing at this mountain. So what our, our God would have us do is see where we are in Christ Jesus to receive the, the, the joy and the gladness of the heavenly mount where we stand today. Mount Sinai was a mountain that could be touched. And that was a fearful thing. Such that even if even a beast touched the mountain, it must be stoned. It must be destroyed. And yet the mountain that we have come to is kept in heaven for us. It is separated from us. It has been made pure and blameless so that God may dwell with his people. Even as we are being made pure and blameless for that place. It is separated by the grave, the door of the grave, so that we may be kept free from destruction. We need not fear this mountain because this mountain has been prepared for us and we are being prepared for it. Sinai was a dreadful sight with thunders and lightnings and smoke and fire and quaking ground. And yet, beloved, Mount Zion is a joyous sight. It is a joyous sight. The first thing it says, verse 22, is that we see innumerable angels in festal gathering. Kids, innumerable means beyond being able to number. So many you can't count. Festal gathering, they're celebrating, they're rejoicing in the victory of the king who has lived and died and been raised to new life and is alive forevermore. They are rejoicing in that glorious victory that he has accomplished. But not just the angels, not just the angels. He says, And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, these, beloved, are those whose names are written in the register of the book of life 
whose names have been written from before the foundation of the world. Oh, beloved, to be able to grab hold of that volume and to flip through its pages and run your finger down until you find your name written with the heavenly script, with the ink dipped in the inkwell of the blood of the Lamb, and to see your name there dried and set and immovable and secure for all eternity. Beloved, oh, to see the roster of the brothers and sisters with whom we will be celebrating in glory forever and ever and to delight ourselves in that heavenly register kept in heaven for us. Oh, the incomparable weight of glory, beloved. What wonderful, what a wonderful gift of God's grace. These are the citizens of that heavenly city. These are, these are the ones who are citizens of the city of the living God, the city whose designer and builder is God himself. These are the ones who have the rights, it says, of a firstborn, a double portion of God's grace. We don't slip in and just get the scraps. We have the rights of the firstborn, who out of the immense and lavish love of the true Son of God, he gives to us all things that we might partake in that glory. And it's not just the angels, beloved, who are sparkling and glorious and pure and spotless. Do you see what it says? Verse 23, And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Those are the saints who have come before, who have been made perfect by the blood of the Lamb, who now await us in glory. And the sight is breathtaking in beauty. And part of that breathtaking nature, beloved, where your heart skips a beat is to recognize that that glory, that perfection is your certain future because of what Christ has done. The sight is glorious. Beloved, the, the sounds of Sinai were terrifying. There was the thunder and the trumpets and the Trem the trembling, but beloved, the sights of Zion. Oh, what a glorious and eternal playlist of God's infinite grace. It says that we come to, to God, the judge of all. Beloved, that, that, that same judge was there at Sinai, but he has a much different uh, proclamation from his lips. The people of Israel were sealed by blood to the law. They said they declared all that we have, all the Lord has said we will do. But no man can keep God's law. And so the only verdict that would come from the judge, if we were to approach him at Sinai, would be guilty, condemned, death, guilty condemned death and yet we have come to a sprinkled blood that speaks better we have come to a sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of 
able. We have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been purified by his blood. Abel's blood cried out, justice, I want justice. And the law granted justice. And yet the blood of Jesus Christ cries out, justice has been satisfied by my blood. Justice has been satisfied. At Sinai, the people declared, all that the Lord has said we will do. But the blood of Jesus Christ declares, all that my Father has commanded, I have done. It is finished. And so the only judgment that we will hear from the God who is judge of all is, forgiven in Christ, glory and rest. Forgiven in Christ, glory and rest, beloved. Oh, beloved, at, at Sinai, the thunder was terrifying. It would caused fear and trembling, but the thunder in Zion is there. But it is glorious praise, beloved. It is the anthem of the heavenly host and the, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, singing in glorious praise of the God who has done it in his son, Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And beloved, that anthem, the volume, the joy, the intensity increases with each sinner who repents and puts their faith in Christ, with each saint who perseveres unto glory, and with each glorious verdict by the righteous judge. Beloved, and in the center, in the center of this glorious celebration, is the Lamb who was slain, even Jesus Christ, the mediator of this covenant in his blood, that we are forgiven in him, we have access in him to this glorious celebration. And this is what Revelation chapter 19 says. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has been made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Beloved, have you come to this mountain? Have you come to Zion, or are you still living in the shadow of Mount, Mount Sinai? I'll give you a simple test, two-point test to consider this. This is where we need to honestly evaluate our hearts, evaluate our lives. So the test is this. First, what is the ground of your hope, the source of your hope? And second is, what is the state of your heart? The source of your hope and the state of your heart. Let's start with the source of your hope. Does your heart commit all that the Lord has said, I will do? Is there something in you? Are you looking to satisfy God's perfection on your own? That is the chorus of Sinai's children. And if you're going to adopt that creed, it has to be perfect and absolute, just as the law is. Every word is important. 
all that the Lord has said I will do. Every jot and tittle, every comma, every letter must be fulfilled. And it's all that God has said you must do. You may not add to God's law. You may not shrink one bit of God's law to fit your ability to keep it. You, you must rise to the absolute nature of God's law and fulfill it exactly as God intended it. Nothing more and nothing less. But beloved, it's already too late. You have already broken God's law. And so it's too late to follow that road. Even if you could, the best you could ever do is just to avoid that guilty plea without any merit of righteousness of your own. And yet Sinai rages. It thunders. And none of us could escape it. Or, beloved, is your hope the refrain, all the Lord has said, Christ has done. That is the song of Zion's children. Beloved, the, the, the gate to the city of the living God is extremely narrow. Only the perfect can enter. Not the good, the perfect. And none are perfect except through the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus Christ is the gate. He is the only gate. He's the only possible gate. He said, no man comes to the Father except through me. Are you coming through Christ? Beloved, here's, here's the good news, is that he welcomes you to come through. He says, come to me. If you are weary with Seeking to fulfill the law, I will give you rest. I have done it. And inside, beloved, is the joy and the celebration of the redeemed. And it is made ready for you. The second test, beloved, is what is the state of your heart? And this, I think, is probably where we need to camp out even more. Sinai was a place of darkness and gloom and fear, a place of exacting demands. Does that describe you? Darkness, gloom, perfectionistic, demanding, exacting, fearful, anxious, are you living in Sinai's shadow, beloved? Are you living by the standards of Sinai? Or do you realize where you have come? Do you realize what Christ has done? Beloved, Zion is a place of inexpressible joy and gladness and celebration. Does your heart abound in thankfulness for what Christ has done for you? Does your heart leap for joy knowing that you are enrolled as a citizen in heaven even now? Does your heart, is it bound 
in unity with your brothers and sisters, fellow citizens with whom you will share the glorious celebration for all eternity too. Beloved, this is, this is a tale of two mountains. This is a tale of two covenants. It is a tale of two ends. Sinai is a place where there is no grace. You must be perfect. Perfect obedience is the bare minimum. And there is nothing you can do to exceed it. There is no middle ground. It is absolute. And the penalty for a single failure are the wrathful terrors of Sinai forever and ever. And beloved, if you, are, you find yourself at the foot of Sinai, your God implores you to look through the gates of Zion and to see the celebration that is taking place and to hear his beckoning call, come to me, come and celebrate, come to the, the feast of the lamb, come and delight yourself in the pleasures forevermore in God's presence beloved. You don't need to be, to be left outside. God invites you in to receive by faith. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, to save lawbreakers, those who couldn't keep Sinai's standard, so that by him we could have life and glory. It is the only way that we can obtain life, and in him it is life to the full. Full. In Christ Jesus, beloved, Christ's perfect love has driven out fear. There is no fear of judgment because we have been set free and we are forgiven in Christ Jesus. And so don't shrink back, but draw near to Zion. Draw near to Christ and to delight in this glorious gift that we've been given. But for us who do hope, in Christ, who, who do find us at, in this glorious city. Beloved, we are citizens of this city now. Our names are enrolled on this register now. This is our certain future. We are pilgrims on the way to our eternal home, and our Savior, our Redeemer, will lead us there. And so, beloved, our only logical, rightful, biblical response is to respond with joy and worship of the immense and glorious gift that we've been given. Beloved, this city is a city of joyous worship. And God gives us, we're citizens of that, that, that city even now. God gives us the gift of being able to celebrate even now, don't you see that what we have one day out of seven, every Lord's Day, God gives us the, the pleasure and the, the gift of being able to taste the sweetness, a, a glimpse of that glorious inheritance that is ours forever and ever. The ability to join together with fellow eternal souls to praise and adore our Redeemer and our Savior, our great God, through the power of His eternal Spirit who works in us to unify us and to fill us with inexpressible joy. Don't you see that, that gift? How could we ever hold back our joy and our praise and our worship of this God? This, this is a, 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 
an internal gift that is ours, not of our own doing, but it is a gift of God. This, this, this place, this city where we are going, the streets, the walls, the ramparts, all of it, it's not of our design or construction, but it is far more glorious than we could ever ask or imagine. And our entrance into that place, it's only by faith in our Savior who has done this for us, who has secured it, who lavishes us with his love and his grace and his gift. Beloved, how could we not celebrate in anticipation of the glory that is ours? Because, beloved, this is our eternal hope and our eternal joy. And for us who are in Christ Jesus, who have put our hope in Christ, this joy is ours now. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have seen fit to reveal to us a glimpse of the glory that is ours. I pray that you would prepare us for that glory, even as we, our hearts are warmed to your Son, as our ears are attentive to the voice of our Father, as your Spirit works in us, that which is pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, would you conform us to the image of Christ? Would you make us holy and fit to, uh, to be in your presence? Would you, would you do that from hearts of gladness and joy? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.